Good morning, Living Stones. I want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to share with you these last uh, three weeks uh, on margin, uh, creating space and a place where we can in, uh, engage our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the midst of busyness and hurried and noise. Speaking, being able to come to you the last few weeks and speaking on some things that God has just been really just working on my life uh, within this last year and journeying together with you as well. Um, I've not arrived, but together we walk together in these disciplines, the discipline of silence, creating a space to listen to the voice of God, knowing that he is there to speak truth and love and grace into our lives. Sabbath, a sacred time to rest in the presence of God. And then this morning, I want to share with you a little bit about simplicity. Finding contentment by learning to trust in God. How many of you enjoy fried bologna sandwiches? There's a few of you. And some of you are like, what is a fried bologna sandwich? Fried bologna sandwiches are what you have when you don't have a lot of money, right? But you take that bologna that, you know, didn't cost you a whole lot of money, a couple pieces of white bread, and you fry that bologna up a little bit, maybe an onion, maybe a little bit of mayonnaise. You put that on, and it's, it's a wonderful meal, especially when you're hungry and especially when you don't have a whole lot of money. I remember those days when Katie and I were were first married, and I uh, was still in Bible college at Kentucky Christian College, and we, we, had a, we lived in a little, I, I think it was an 8 by trailer. Uh, does anybody ever, ever seen an 8 by trailer before? It, is, it was so tiny. It's supposed to have two bedrooms, but one of them you could not have put a bed in. No way. And the other bedroom in the back, we stuck a double bed, and we had to stick it up against the wall. So in order to get out of the bed, you had to crawl all the way over to one side. I could literally lay in that bed, and if I stretched out my arms like this, I could touch the one wall with my hands and the other wall with my feet. That's how tiny it was. And in that little trailer, my wife would make fried bologna sandwiches every now and again. And then one of my favorite memories is on Sunday morning, before we would uh, leave to go to our first part-time ministry in Cynthia, Kentucky, she would get up, because she loves me so much, she would get up and get a tube of Pillsbury biscuits, you know, the ones you open up and you pop and they kind of explode out of there, and the cap from the Pepsi bottle or the Coke bottle, and she would cut the hole out of the biscuit fry up both of those and sprinkle them with powdered sugar every Sunday morning for breakfast. I didn't get fried uh, donuts this morning for breakfast. It's been a long time since I've gotten those. But that was a memory of ours because it just spoke to me of simplicity, just living on the little that we had and enjoying that. I have uh, another memory, and I'm glad to have uh, one of our friends here with us today. Uh, when we were, Katie and I were in our first full-time ministry out of Bible College in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, we, again, didn't, uh, didn't have a lot of money then either, but we loved to garden. 
And I, in those first early days of gardening, I put out like 12 zucchini plants. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I only need one, and I'll have more than enough. But I had, I had a ton of them. I can't remember how many plants. But we had a lot of zucchini. And, uh, and I remember walking to the door when Sandy came to our house for the very first time to have a meal and met her at the door and said, I hope you like zucchini. Because we had it. We had fried zucchini and zucchini bread and zucchini casserole because that's what we could afford. And it was wonderful. It was good. I have some Labor Day experiences as well. Probably you have some of those too. For many years while we were in our ministry in Buchanan, Michigan, uh, when our boys were really little, we had bought this uh, StarCraft pop-up camper for $300. It was an amazing find. And I remember uh, even we, Katie and I, praying about this camper. I think they wanted 500 for it, and I talked the guy down to 300 It had a busted cable, and the uh, canvas on it was kind of eaten, eaten away by mice and a little dry rot here and there, and we had to clean it up. And, and, but the one thing that convinced us that God wanted us to have this trailer was on the back where the, the spare tire was, had a cover on it, and says, it said, people get ready, Jesus is coming. And I knew that we were supposed to have that trailer. I knew we were supposed to have that camper. And, I, and to this day, we talk about year after year going to family camp over Labor Day at Michiana Christian Service Camp with all of our friends that had similar StarCraft campers, uh, putting those up and having a wonderful time together, just simply being with each other, enjoying life with one another. How many of you ever heard this phrase before? I remember my mentor in ministry saying to me, I want it so bad I can taste it, right? You see that sports car that's in the lot that you keep driving by every day when you go to work or you go to school, and that, that dream car, and in your mind you're like, I want that so bad I can taste it, that I can see myself, I can envision myself sitting in the driver's seat of that car with the top down and the, the wind blowing through your hair and the music coming in at you. I want it so bad that I can taste it. What I mean is that until I get that one more thing, I am not going to be satisfied. Then after I get that one thing, the shine and the glitz and all of that wears off really fast. And you know what I have? I have something that I have to make payments for. I have something that I have to maintain. I have something that I have to clean. And as Jeff mentioned earlier, it maybe ends up getting stuck in a closet somewhere and I forget about it after I've made that initial investment. Now look at all the stuff that I have accumulated and invested my life in. Uh, The addiction for more and many and, and things come in the form of so many things, the material things like I'd mentioned. My, my dad loves the, the, the Daffy Duck in the uh, um, Looney Tunes cartoons, and the one that I can big, uh, really, I can remember the most and applies to this is the addiction for more and more. Watch this little clip. Well, we can't be too far off. So if we, uh... It's mine, you understand? Mine! All mine! Get back in there! Down, down, down! Go, go, go! Mine, mine, mine! <laughs> That's what happens, right? We, we become like little children with the things that we want. Mine, mine, mine! Get out of the way. 
I think James had that in mind in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It's material, but it's also social, right? How many times have you seen somebody, if you're into social networking like Facebook, and, and you look at the news feed and, and you see people who are successful? People that seem to have everything they post seems to be about something that they've achieved in their life, some, a place where they're going, and you long to be like that person. But the, the hard part is in that is that we don't know what it took for that person to get to the level that they are. They don't, we don't understand and know the discipline that they had to go through to achieve the success that they have or the difficulties that they've had to walk through that have matured them to be the people that they are today. And in our instant gratification culture, we long to be like that and we think we should just get it. It's social. It's also emotional. In our pursuit of much and more and all of these kind of things that we add into our lives, those are being used to numb us with the character flaws that we all have. And so rather than confronting those issues and surrendering those over to God, we accumulate stuff to help us to feel better about ourselves. It's emotional. And lastly, it's self-reliant, which this is probably the, 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 the worst aspect because it reveals our lack of trust in God. We don't believe that, we, that God in heaven, the almighty God, creator of the world, really knows our needs or that he even cares about our dreams and desires. And if we were honest with ourselves, we think we know better than God. I can only speak for myself. There are times where I certainly feel like I know better than God in this situation. And without consideration for the timing of God or the purposes of God or the will of God, we're tempted to strike out on our own to make things happen in our terms and in our strength. There is truly a difference between our needs and our wants. And today I'd like for us to explore how it is possible to be content in all ways, by discovering simplicity and how that works within our culture without becoming Amish, right? Contentment. What's contentment? What, is, what does it mean to be content? The poet, well, a poet once wrote, as a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. And when it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. That sounds like my living room or the blankets on the bed. You know, I don't need them, but she needs all of them. And, or the Rolling Stones song. I can't get no satisfaction. Contentment. Let's look at what Paul has to say about contentment in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you, renew, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. But you had no opportunity to show it. 
I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our, your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have had more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Contentment. Think of the people that you know in your life that are content. What, what is the secret? What is the secret? Is it that they have no struggles, that they have no situations that disturb them, that they were born with that silver spoon in their mouth? Do they have everything in the world that they want? Are these the things that bring contentment? Look at what the Bible says here about contentment. Christian contentment is not necessarily the removal of ourselves from trials, temptations, or struggles of life. Christian contentment is not feeling the feeling of getting everything our hearts desire. In fact, those who receive the most things in life are often the least contented people. In this text, Paul is talking to the Philippian church, and he is saying to them, everybody else, everybody that I know, it seems like in my condition, which was prison, have forgotten about me. But you know what? I'm thankful for you because you have learned the secret of contentment. And out of that contentment, you have been able to give to me. Think about our culture today and how much stuff we have accumulated. If you want contented kids, do you give them everything they want? I see the parents going, nope, nope, but we do. Will that build contented children? Absolutely not. That, they, they, that only feeds that monster that is the enemy of contentment. The least thankful or contented generation has the, had the most stuff ever, but not the most love, not the most nurture, and certainly not the most discipline. The ingredients of contentment are love, joy, peace, humility, thankfulness, and service to Jesus Christ. If you have true contentment, it came from him. Listen again to the first part of this text, starting at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty 
or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What has Paul uncovered for us? Is it not the peace of contentment through the power of Jesus Christ in any and all circumstances? Notice the circumstances he specifically talks about. Full or hungry, having plenty or being in need. And if you've taken marriage vows, you know those, those vows sound very similar. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, no matter what. No matter what happens in our life here on earth, no matter what changes, our love for one another never changes and our commitment to God never changes either. Contentment. God's power in Christ giving us peace in any and every circumstance. Paul is then able to proclaim, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There were some odd teachings during Paul's day. Actually, all during the New Testament, there were all kinds of philosophers and teachers. And one of the teachings that was very prevalent, especially to the Philippians, were the teachings of the Stoics. Have you ever met somebody who is Stoic? What does it mean to be Stoic? Just kind of, well, I heard my, in, the last, uh, in, the, in the last one, boring, right? If, I, if you were to say, you know, Lowell, you're a stoic person, I would probably take offense to that and say, oh, you mean it's not boring? Oh, yeah, like that, okay? But the stoic method of teaching, of, of reaching contentment was to eliminate emotion and feeling and do away with caring for anything at all. So the teacher would say to you, begin with a cup or a spoon. And something happens to that. It breaks. What do you say? I don't care. And you're probably saying, okay, whatever. I mean, that happens daily in my house, right? Go on to a horse. Or how about a pet? You all have pets. A lot of you do. If anything happens to it, you say, I don't care. I love my dog. And I would probably break down in a puddle of tears here if something were to happen to my dog. And probably you would do the same thing too. But the Stoic would say, no. Go on to yourself. And if you are hurt or injured in any way, you're supposed to say, I don't care. It's all good. Now, how about if you go on long enough and try hard enough and you watch your nearest and dearest relative or friend suffer and die? Are you able to say, I don't care? It's all good. Absolutely not. What are you asking me to do, Lowell? I'm not asking you to do anything. I don't think Paul is saying that either. The Stoic philosophy was basically grin and bear it. But this is not contentment that Christ empowers us to have. Instead, we join with God in loving and caring for others. We learn to love and long for one another in holy relationship through Christ. We experience sorrow and pain with endurance instead of denial. This contentment is not rooted in eliminating all emotion and feeling, but in redeeming relationships with one another, rejoicing in the Lord always, releasing our anxieties to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving in our hearts because we have a God that cares for us and loves us and knows us. So how do we find real contentment? I would propose that we seek to live more simply, to practice the discipline of simplicity. 
I've had an opportunity this week as we have launched all of our Bible studies on our campuses to talk to some students, to ask them for prayer, and to ask them. I asked specifically a group. I said, what is, what is your greatest need? What is the one thing that is, is there that might be keeping you from succeeding the way that you want to? And over and over again, I heard this word or this idea, balance. I want balance. I've got classes that I'm studying for. I've got finances that I'm concerned about. I've got social activities that I'm involved with. I have relationships that I want to build. And all of these things, plus the things that I have left back at home, compete for my attention over and over again. And what I really long for is to have it all in order, have it all controlled. I want to have, I want to have balance in my life. And if we find balance, we would be content. Richard Foster, who wrote the classic Celebration of Discipline, said this, Simplicity is freedom. Duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. God does not desire our lives to be as complex as they are. He does not want us to get caught up in the rat race of the accumulation of stuff and things and filling our lives with too much. He desires more than anything that we live lives that are holy and pleasing to him. So the first thing, as, you're, as, as we are practicing the discipline of simplicity, first lean into God. Lean into God. Because you know what? God knows you and he knows me better than we know ourselves. He knows what you can handle. He knows your tendencies. He knows your passions. He knows your dreams. He can and will illuminate something in your life if you allow him the space to speak to you. So lean into him. As I was preparing for this message uh, during this week, God made me aware of a frustration that was just kind of building in my life, and it seems to be something that comes, fades in and out of my life over and over again this frustration that I was having with control and position in my life. And a question came to me, Lowell, are you content with where you are and the influence that you have today? And what I mean is that I, I have been so conditioned to seek advance, to seek productivity, to seek large numbers, to seek this big grand thing in ministry that as I walk down the path, as I literally walk down the sidewalk on campus or wherever it might be, that I miss the opportunities, the daily, the hourly opportunities to be a light for Jesus in every spot. I am so in a hurry to promote myself. And God was saying to me, Lowell, are you content with that moment? Are you willing to lay all of those other things aside? Lean into God. Seek his face. And as you do, he will open up your heart and your mind to the simple but significant ways in which God gives contentment. Secondly, as you're practicing the discipline of simplicity, learn to do nothing. I love when Janae got up here earlier and said, what did you do Labor Day weekend? And several people said, not a thing. And I love it. I love it. Seeking God, leaning into him in many ways seems like an invitation to do nothing. We have been raised to be doers. But what if, what, if I, you know, what if you went home this afternoon and you sat on the back porch or wherever it might be and you look over the yard 
And some of you already know what I'm talking about because you're like, oh my gosh, I need to mow, I need to trim, I've got these trees that need to be trimmed, I've got this garden that I need to weed, I've got all of these things that I need to do, and I'm with you. Those things just race through my mind over and over again. It's hard for me to sit down for a few minutes. I've got to get up, I've got to move. It's like I've got restless leg syndrome all the time. And my identity is attached to the doing that I have to be a part of. This is the way of social economics in our world, but it's not in God's kingdom. God calls us to sit in him and take our identity in Christ. Learn to do nothing. I want to, one of my, fa- my favorite book in the Bible is the letter to the Ephesians from Paul. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but just listen to the words in these few verses, and as I emphasize just a few phrases as I read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Love that phrase. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, in Christ. In Christ, we find our identity. In Christ, because he came and he gave himself as a sacrifice for us and died on the cross and rose from the dead, in him, we find adoption as sons and daughters. In him. This is our standing, and it takes us to be able to slow down enough and do nothing so that he can do everything. The key is that we are looking to God to set our priorities and not relying on ourselves. Third, as you practice the spiritual discipline of simplicity, trust God with what you need. And as Jeff said in his communion meditation, leave everything else behind. That closet or that room that needs to be purged of all of these things. One of the verses that comes to my mind when I think about this trust God is is the one we learned as kids. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The hardest word in that phrase is trust. To trust. Why? Most all of us have been exposed to some harsh realities in life and have seen enough ugliness in humanity to make us distrust people. We live in a fallen world. I know that's a hard word to hear, a phrase to hear, but the reality is that as, as we walk through life, Things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. And we are going to suffer the consequences of all of these things, unfortunately. 
Impact had its first meetings on campus this week, as I mentioned earlier. And in the midst of that need for balance, students carry an extreme amount of burden along with keeping up with studies and fi finances. And one of the, another theme that I heard over and over again that my heart just broke for was leaving behind worries for families and friends back home. And these thoughts can be consuming and a huge distraction. They are full of heartbreak and worry, and maybe you're there too. Things that you look at, that you're concerned with, that you cannot do anything about. And you're frustrated, and it consumes your mind all the time that you can't focus on anything else. And you can't do anything about it. And when you combine, combine, compound all of these things, it, can't feel like God has, it can feel like God has completely let you down. And trusting in him is going to be challenging. What if we were to take all of these worries and cares instead as an entryway into simplicity? Start each day with a simple prayer. Ask God to take care of your needs for the day ahead. Just for the day. Just for today. Ask him to help you distinguish between the needs that you have and your wants. Take some time at the end of each day to reflect on how God has moved and be grateful for the things that you have seen and discover ways that he has surprised you that you now know because you've been focusing on it. I find that when I slow down and do these simple things, God gives me a perspective and a wisdom into his heart and what he is doing that I learn to trust more and more, and I am able to walk more and more in peace and contentment. And lastly, hold everything with an open hand. As you practice the spiritual discipline of simplicity, hold everything with an open hand. Well, we have many wonderful uh, supporters in our ministry. I mentioned it in the first sermon that we have, uh, we have a lot of people in, that are very generous and are committed to monthly supporting us with Impact Campus Ministries. And if there's one thing that I have learned from God in this experience is to be content through simplicity. I could tell you so many stories, but the one that just, when I think of holding what I have in an open hand, my mind immediately goes to a couple that we've known for many years. Uh, Phil and Dale Weldy, uh, they are an example of uh, marriage, of family, but of simplicity. Uh, in my ministry in Buchanan for eight and a half years, I, I, there, we spent hours, days probably, at the pool. We ate tubs full of ice cream all the time. We had baptisms in the hot tub in the middle of winter when the baptistry at the church was down. We had halogen lights that we put up like this. We held up, and we get in the hot tub and baptize a couple students, and then we hang out in the hot tub and party the rest of the night. Great experience. We borrowed the Suburban or the truck over and over again for youth activities, you name it. And I have helped more people more times than I can count with that big red trailer move that I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> But you know what? They still have that big red trailer, and if I needed it, it's there. And we have fed more people with turkey and hogs cooked on pellet grills than I can count. Why would you do this? It's certainly not for recognition, at least not for Phil and Dale. They are the most humble people I know. It's because they are trusting that in each moment, 
of obedience, that God can and will do something to bless other people and give glory and honor to him. You understand what I'm saying? That if we were to take the things that we prize, that we hold near and dear to us, and we hold it with an open hand and say, God, this is yours. How much of that would be released to bless other people and to give glory to God in the world? But because we don't, because we don't, his glory isn't being experienced. Take your fist. Take your hand and make it into a fist. Okay? Whatever you have in that hand cannot come out because your fist is clenched. Right? I have $20 here. Now, take your fist and open it up. And at any moment, whatever you put in your hand can be taken away from you. What can God do with something that's in a closed fist? Nothing. What can God do with something that, is a, that you hold out in, in an open palm? Everything. Everything that he desires. Right? Moms, <clears throat> boxed macaroni and cheese and peanut butter and pickle sandwiches, don't judge me, they're awesome. You may wish that you could put more on the table because of your finances or your time, but instead realize that those simple things that you give to your children are their favorites. Box macaroni and cheese and peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. Because they see that you care and you love them more than all the money in the world could buy. That's simplicity. Dads, at the end of the day, when you are tired and weary and you pack things up and you leave the office or, where, or the factory or wherever it is that you work, you come home. The lawn will get taller and your neighbors will complain, but resist it and say, I don't care, and play cornhole with your kids, ride bikes, go fishing, or whatever you like to do. Your family will see that you delight in their presence more than you delight in your job. And your identity is found in the relationships that you have with your family. Kids, you're so bored. Turn off the Xbox. Close the iPad. Pull out Monopoly or Apples to Apples and sit around the table for a few hours with your family. And I guarantee you the boredom that you faced will we rode away, and the laughter and the joy that you have in that room will be the memory that you remember later on. Because 10 years from now, you won't really care about what you were playing on the Xbox or what the iPad was doing. But the, the funny things that you talk about around that table will last in eternity. Janae and I were talking about this song after first service, and she said, I, I, I want to sing this song, but... Um, I prob- I'm not going to do that to you. <clears throat> Rich Mullins is one of my favorite artists, and pro- perhaps for you as well. And one of the songs that, he's, that, that he wrote, uh, If I Stand. Listen to these lyrics. 
There's more that rises in the morning than the sun. You see what I mean? And more that shines in the night than the moon. It's more than just this fire here that keeps me warm. In a shelter there is a lar- there, that is larger than this room. And there's a loyalty that goes deeper than mere sentiments. And a music higher than the songs that I can st- sing. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance. I owe only to the giver of all good things. So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that has borne in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. What do you long for? Are you able to live your life simply enough to desire, like Paul said in Philippians, for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain? And so as I live here simply, I'm able to let him work through me as I slow down and let him move constantly longing and pointing for the home where I long to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for just meeting us here in this simple moment. Father, what we do here is unseen by so many in the world today, and yet in this moment, you move by the power of your Holy Spirit to receive glory and honor and praise. And that you move in our lives in such a way that when we leave this place today, we'll pay attention to the opportunities that we have to make a difference and have an influence in the world. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.